Welcome to Wemcast, the home for adventurous and maverick medics worldwide. This session is about reviewing the online content that we produced during lockdown. Lockdown gave us a unique opportunity to connect with medics on a worldwide basis. And over the period, we managed to collate some really fascinating, some exciting, some really insightful sessions with some really fascinating people. And in this session, the three of us, Owen Walker, Will Duffin, and myself, Mark Hannaford, are choosing our three favourite sessions, ones that have given us insights into our own careers, into our own lives. And we'd love to share these sessions with you to signpost you to these particular highlight sessions. With me on the podcast is Dr. Will Duffin and Owen Walker. Owen, good morning to you. You're in Cairo, I hear. Morning, Mark. Indeed, I'm in Cairo uh, on this, uh, this hot and uh, lovely morning. Um, so thanks for the introduction, Mark. And indeed, uh, just reviewing our sessions, I'd just like to kick off with my favourite session uh, from, uh, from the, the duration of the pandemic. So it was Wemcast number 56 with Jeff Allen. And this session was titled The Journey, Not the Destination. And it was a really fantastic session for a number of reasons, really. So Jeff is a world-class kayaker. And in this episode, we discuss his career and the trauma um, from his time in both the military and the acute divorce uh, from his first wife. So what I loved about the session is just his honesty and candid replies. And it genuinely took me back and allowed us to focus on how he moved through his battles uh, of being stripped from everything but, um, and also his need to survive on the ocean. So he talked about his commitment to the blade, which is his commitment to the paddling, um, and how he embodied and processed a lot of anger in, in his paddling through the water. And my key take-homes from this session, uh, Mark, really were just taking on the adventure into the outdoors can and is a psychological journey sometimes as much as a physical one. Uh, it can really help you process and reorder some of the damaged or difficult experiences by giving you time to think about the experiences and process them. Uh, Jeff's circumnavigation of, of Japan illustrated just this and he, just how he uses nature to, uh, to really just get back to the basics of interacting kinesthetically with the water and his surroundings. But just, just really about how he interacted with his own mental health, because I really think that, it, that, that, that our own mental health can be the source of predation and, and danger if we don't deal with it um, acutely at the source. So that certainly was my, uh, was my uh, first favorite session of the summer. So I'll hand over to Will uh, for, the, for his, his first session. Cheers, Owen. Yeah, I really enjoyed your conversation with Jeff just, uh, just on that note. I mean, he's a proper salty sea dog, isn't he, Jeff? The stuff he's done, right? circumnavigated Japan and then Ireland as well. And I, I, what really touched me in your conversation with him actually was the way that he, he was in the military and that wasn't his choice. He felt that he was pushed in there by his father and he left the military, he's left with this kind of existential crisis, he didn't know what to do with himself. And kayaking was kind of this way of him kind of rediscovering himself. And, and it was just this, the way he describes it, it's just this, using adventure like that, uh, it's, just, it's this kind of powerful kind of medicine. Um, uh, it was, was amazing for me. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. Well, as a kind of fellow sea kayaker, certainly not at the level of Jeff, but sea kayaking is one of those few sports, and I'd recommend it to everybody, that where you really have to concentrate on what you're doing. You have to watch the sea. You have to keep your, 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 your paddling regular. You need to be aware of risks and dangers around you. And it's one of the few sports where if you get yourself into trouble, nobody's going to come and get you. You know, there's no ambulance waiting around the corner. There's no sort of, you know, rescue team. You know, you're out in the big, wide, blue yonder. And it actually is really quite isolating. But consequently, it really takes up all of your mental capacity. You don't have the time and the space to really think about all the issues that are going on in your life. You can park them and let your subconscious deal with that. So for me, and I think probably, I mean, Jack would say the same, kayaking is almost like hypnotism. It really takes your mind to a different place. So, yeah, as a as a as a kayaker, as well as um, like Jeff, well, not the same sound as I said as Jeff, but I would recommend it for people um, if they get the opportunity, they should try it. Cool, cool. 
Um, so yeah, my uh, first pick, and it's you know it's been so difficult to pick three because I, I mean, we've all had these amazing conversations, and I've grown as a person over the last five months just speaking to all these people. So this is completely arbitrary. <laughs> um, but uh, staying on the kind of military theme, so um, Jeff reflected on how he struggled to adapt to life after the army. Um, you know, this is a, a similar story in that sense with Martin Hewitt. This is episode 107. This was recorded in, uh, um, in June, released in July uh, this year. Um, Martin was, a, was in the army. Uh, he was serving in Afghanistan. And he, he tells this incredible story where he was, he took a bullet wound to the, uh, just above his armored vest into the shoulder uh, in, during a firefight, he was pulled out of the, the, the battlefield with, with ma- major bleeding by, by the Mert team. Uh, and he was, um, uh, he was put to sleep and, uh, and had lots of surgeries at Camp Bastion. And then he was evacuated back to, to the UK. And just his, his story about that point in his life and then subsequent his, his, his recovery. So he lost um, the use of his right dominant arm. And he had to learn, relearn to write um, everything in his life, you know, his, his whole military career. His, he was a very sporty, active guy. That was all just gone. And he had to just completely rebuild himself. Um, and and I've, uh, I've done a bit of work with Help for Heroes with, um, with veterans of, of conflict uh, who've got all kinds of, uh, of injuries. Um, and I've had a sense of what it might be like to be in that kind of environment through them and, and the, the, the kind of... The, the journey that they, they go on to, to rehabilitate and recover. But this, the way he speaks in this episode, I think he's, he's very, very honest. Um, and uh, it's a very raw uh, kind of no frills account. Um, and and it just the, what he's gone on to achieve following this is just, just blown me away. So he, he went on to represent Great Britain in the um, adaptive sports world in, in, in downhill and slalom skiing. And he's, he had this kind of glittering sporting career then that wasn't enough for him. He went and set up the Adaptive Grand Slam, which is a little bit like the Explorer's Grand Slam. So the seven summits and the North and South Pole, uh, but for people with disabilities and not just veterans of, of the armed forces, but anyone with, uh, with, a, physical, with a disability. And he's, his whole kind of, his why behind this is not just about him and his own recovery, but he wants to use his experience to, to enable other people to get out into really extreme environments and, and really find themselves and, and give them that, that drive, that focus, that, that, um, that passion back that, that many of them will have lost in, in the wake of, of, of that life changing injury. So yeah, I just found Martin a really, really interesting guy to talk to. And I've, yeah, that's one of those episodes that kind of resonates with me even, even now. I think what's really interesting, Will, about that, that episode is, is Martin's mindset and just his candor approach. And I think whenever, you know, whenever I'm struggling in life or struggling day to day, you just, if you, you listen to that session, what it, what it allows you to do, it allows you to transcend anything you're struggling with because you appreciate that actually versus someone who's, who's lost complete function of their arm and is, is still able to overcome. So I think, I think what I got from that session myself was just his tenacity and his and, and his sort of spirit of overcoming really it was it, absolutely fantastic yeah an amazing an amazing story and a testament to to his individual or his, his, his internal strength and fortitude isn't it um it would be interesting to to see what he goes on to do next yeah he's a, he's a truly remarkable guy uh, okay, so Mark, your turn. What's uh, what's your first episode choice? Well, like you, Will, we you know we've had such a spread of episodes um, of people speaking and being interviewed. Do you know there was it runs a whole gamut of not only medicine but also life. Um, and I think one of the um, one of my favourite sessions, and there, there is it is really difficult to choose because there were so many extraordinary sessions, is uh, episode ninety six with JD Polk. Um, J.D. Polk is the chief medical officer at NASA, um, and he was. Oh, and during during a period when these guys were so busy, was um, gracious enough to give us an hour of his time. Actually, it ended up being about three hours because the first recording didn't work. Yeah, and he's and you know, and it's a testament to J.D. that he said, "Don't worry, let's do this again tomorrow." And we re- re-recorded the whole session. So, yeah, and uh, you know, a lovely person to speak to. Um, 
And he gave us um, some time just after the Dragon launch, so the first sort of commercial launch into space with, with astronauts aboard. Um, and it was really a turning point in human history where we started to move as a, as a species away from purely um, servicing the International Space Station, which has been a remarkable endeavour all by itself, to actually looking beyond the International Space Station to putting a permanent base onto the moon, which um, potentially will replace ISS because that's coming to the end of its natural life. Um, and using that in itself as a launch pad to, to go to Mars. You know, I think it's, you know, it keys in, in what, well with that human spirit that you were just referencing just now, Will, with Martin, that desire to explore and to, to push boundaries and to, to, to reach, literally reach for the stars. JD um, describes NASA's and ambition uh, for space travel and indeed sort of, you know, that sort of global um, desire for space travel encompassing other agencies in China, Russia and so on um, with such enthusiasm and the, you know, he's clearly a man that has lived his uh, subject for, for his, you know, for his entire professional life because his depth of knowledge is just absolutely incredible. Um, the, you know, the medical benefits to um, these types of journeys, he elucidated really clearly that, you know, you know, there is a why, why should we go to Mars? And he was very clear on the, the reasons why he sees that and why the agency at NASA sees that as being um, extremely positive to the human race in, in totality. So you know, it, was, it was one of those conversations that was just, I could have sat there, I have to admit, and sat there for hours and hours just talking to JD because his mind is like an encyclopedia. But he explains it in a way that even... Um, you know, intellectually challenged people like myself can understand and and really get into the topic. Um, so, you know, the session with JD Polk, I have to say, would would be one I highly recommend because not only is it is it a not only is he fascinating to listen to, it's also you know it's a turning stone of human history. And you know, two days, three days after the launch of the Dragon capsule, he was. He and I think it's a testament to the WEM community and the people that are attracted to this community that he gave us gave us his time and um, delivered a brilliant session. I have to say, I had the pleasure of meeting JD at last year's conference, and it's hard to believe he's the medical director of NASA because he's such a dude, isn't he? <laughs> he is such a dude. He's such a great guy, and, and one of the things I loved about that episode, he's such a visionary as well. And the stuff he's talking about, you you've got to listen to this episode. He talks about. Uh, 3D printing drugs in space. That blew me away. So instead of having to work out what meds you need in your med kit, you just, it's all organic compounds. He reckons you can just kind of print them up in space when you need them. So, you, you know, you've just got the printer that's that, and off you go. I, just stuff like that. It's just like mind blown. It is. And the applications of that type of scientific advance on earth, you know, are, are, are limitless too. Um, and it was also quite nice. I really enjoyed the fact that he comes from a similar background to us. So, you know, he was, you know, used to jumping out of helicopters and, you know, came from an expeditionary background, which was, uh, which was really nice to hear. So you know, he views stuff for a similar lens, I guess, to the way that, that we do as well. So it was, um, it was as interesting to hear about how he got to his position as it was to hear about the amazing vision that they have as an organization. Um, yeah, so it was an absolute pleasure talking to JD, and you're, and you're right. You can't, it's hard to imagine. Well, that's the wrong way of putting it, isn't it? But his accessibility, you would think somebody in his position would be very hard to get hold of, very hard to sort of uh, to get some time. But he's so generous with that, and his accessibility is amazing. What really struck me from your session with him, Mark, was just his sense of collaboration. And I think it's, it's a real testimony to the fact that actually – if we're, if we're going to get ahead in life, we have to collaborate with, with other, other minds, other cultures, um, other, other specialities. And actually, you know, no, no man is an island. No, no organization is an island. Even NASA, indeed, relies heavily on the Russians, relies heavily also uh, with collaboration with the European Space Agency. And it, it, it is a collaborative approach. And even in, even in his, his journey in his um, career, 
uh, he's he's had to both collaborate and and also start from a very humble place. So um, I think I really took away that sense of you know opening your mind to to various collaborations because they can lead you and help you and guide you and also teach you. And we're we're very much hoping that um, JD will be able to join us for the uh, online conference, so WEM twenty virtual. Um, he's uh, going to try and carve out some time for us, and you know we're hopeful that we'll hear you know what he's been doing subsequently since the Dragon launch, and also um, you know drill down into some of the details that were that, that we talked about in the podcast itself. So I think uh, Owen, is it is it on to you now for your next session? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Mark. So my next session is Wemcast number 106, which was also a, a, a live Wemcast session uh, called Thriving versus Surviving with Dan Richards and Victoria Lebrecht. And I think one thing that's, that's come out really from the summer and from all of our sessions really is this sort of thriving through adversity and this theme of thriving through adversity. And it's a good analog actually for the summer because, you know, in, in this pandemic, we have had to thrive clinically and individually through adversity and through some really adverse times. So I, I, I think actually we've, we've probably reflected it quite nicely within the, within the WEMCAST sessions, but this session certainly was, was so. So Thriving versus Surviving, Dan Richards, Victoria Lebrecht. Dan lost his, uh, his right arm in a motorcycle accident in 2009. Had a very difficult uh, rehabilitation. Um, talk, spoke quite candidly about his near-death experiences, near-suicide experience. Then started to, to piece by piece, uh, rebuild his life. Uh, and started to uh, found a love for cycling. Also uh, started to find a full-time job. And ended up through, through a process of of um, mentoring and joining different clubs and different social events, ended up cycling in the Invictus Games. But he, that is just one of a, n a number of amazing stories to his testimony of, of really thriving through adversity. And again, very much to Will's uh, last, um, last podcast he was mentioning with Martin, just that absolutely tenacious, com coming, coming to bedrock and then from bedrock, that tenacious approach of rebuilding step by step, brick by brick, back to not only being functional, but being excellent and successful at the same time. Very much Victoria Lebrecht's story as well. So 2014, she lost a leg uh, and she was crushed under a, under a lorry while cycling to work. Um, and she talks about just really her adjustment to new baselines and just also revealed the character and tenacity required to overcome just some, some daily challenges like how we walking again, learning to clothe herself again, learning to manage pain, acute and chronic pain. Um, but my key learning through it all, uh, Mark and Will really was, just the incidence of a traumatic event can sometimes be the, be the beginning of a new challenge and a, and a new life and calling. And sometimes adversity, although we never choose it, um, can, can actually create greater character development in us. Um, and, you know, the pinnacle of, of, of their examples, you know, Victoria swimming the channel with, with, with one leg, uh, Dan Richards cycling for the Invictus Games with one arm. These, these, these are stories which can't help but absolutely inspire you and, and cause, you to, um, cause you to absolutely think, rethink adversity. Yeah, they're two phenomenal human beings, Owen. It was interesting in your episode. I think that's the first time they met when you recorded it. And they're actually quite interested in each other's story, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And I can't remember which of them said, um, whether it was Dan or Victoria, but they said, actually said the, the, that life-changing injury was the best thing that ever happened to them because it opened up new opportunities and new frontiers that they just wouldn't otherwise have, have even known about. And that's, that's a complete paradigm shift, isn't it, from what, how you'd expect recovery from, from a traumatic event to, to be. Absolutely, absolutely. You just think to, to, to say that, but actually what rebounded him into, uh, into a whole new world and a whole new domain of, of skill and, and, and practice. So he's, he's, for him to say that's really powerful because he, he certainly had a roller coaster, roller coaster event. I was going to say the energy between the two of them um, at the end of the session was quite remarkable to hear. And, um, you know, you know that they're going to link up and do because uh, Victoria works for us. Um, I can't remember what the, the charity's name is, um, Owen. Can you remember? It's a cycling safety organization. Yeah, it's called Road Peace. 
road piece yeah and then you know dan was uh, it sounds like dan's going to get heavily involved with with road piece which which is a great sort of output from that from that session absolutely absolutely and, and i think like you said again collaboration and and just awareness into into cycle safety and and just safety in general uh, but but very much that like that that tenacious approach and 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 that collaborative approach so will over to you what's your next uh, favorite session of the summer thanks owen so my next pick is episode 90 this is recorded um in may what has led to a climate of fear in frontline healthcare with Dr. Kathy Ryan. Uh, and this episode for me came at a time when I think we were all in the immediate what's just happened phase of the pandemic. We were all just kind of reeling to try and understand what was going on. And th you know, those of us who are frontline health workers were ha suddenly having to adjust to this whole new disease that we didn't really understand. There was you know, a lot of fear around what was going to happen to society and to our patients and, and to us and our families. And it's so much, so many unknowns. Um, and uh, you know, this combined with the fact that the, the direction of travel with, with clinical practice has very much been towards the defensive end of practice. Uh, and that's been driven by you know, litigation, um, by more sessional working, by you know, perfectionism within health workers, and, and this is this is something we explore in, in in this episode. But 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 Kathy's a very senior clinician, so she's the director of the integrated urgent care in the in Bristol area. So you know, really really senior clinician. And in this episode, she reflects very candidly on some of the biggest mistakes she's made in her career. Some of the um, you know, where she's really kind of dropped the ball, so to speak, um, but was then able to grow and reflect from that and and it hasn't made her more defensive in her practice and and this this came uh, we you know we, we all i've dropped the ball we all we all do it as clinicians because we're only human uh, and i think it's really important that we have an honest conversation about uh, about how we how we deal with this in our in our clinical work um and and this she's kind of promoting this concept of courage based medicine everything is pushing us to, towards being fearful uh, and we, we did a literature research and there's the, there's the only um, academic paper on courage in healthcare dates back to 1909. So there's just a massive dearth of, of, of conversation around this. So I, I felt like we'd really perhaps started something that, that could, could really grow into something bigger. And, and this idea of just um, owning your decisions, um, accept, you know, accepting and holding clinical risk. Uh, and I think in the, in the time of COVID, um, that that kind of whole mindset um, uh, is never been been more important. And within the episode, there's a really great toolkit that she um, she outlines. You know, fear setting as an exercise you can do with your team, um, and that there's kind of worksheets for that in the in the show notes that you can access. But yeah, it, this really reminded me of of what it means to be to practice in a courageous way, and, and how our patients need that from us more than ever right now. Yeah, well, I think it's 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 really surprising that there's such a dearth around this topic, isn't there? In term, in terms of healthcare, and it's such an important element of um, a clinician's job is to be is to be courageous, but also to have to live with the decisions. Um, not everybody is going to make good decisions all of the time. That's a, an impossibility. So it's it's living with the um, you know not making such good ones all of the time, and that's that's what makes us human, isn't it? Um, but yeah, surprising and shocking that there's there's a, such a dearth of resource on that. So I would just echo that really around how difficult it has been. And you can get this decision-making paralysis um, when difficult decisions do get difficult. Um, but actually stepping up and making difficult decisions is sometimes the best thing you can do. Um, and so bearing very much testimony like you do, Will, to, to clinical practice over the summer, and the overwhelming nature of some of the cases and the, uh, demand versus supply, um, but but in the in the face of that, not not shying away from those difficult decisions. And I think that was a really prominent point that she that she and you brought forward, um, and and stayed with me from your session. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and all of our. I think all of our guests really they embody courage to some extent and extreme medicine as an entity is it, practicing medicine in unconventional hostile austere environments is in itself is a very courageous act and uh, 
I think that's something that's it's a it's a thread it's a theme that I think is going to be we're going to develop even further so yeah watch this space uh Mark over to you well thank you for that so my next session is 101 witchcraft sleeping sickness and a passion for medicine the the remarkable life of Dr Victor Kande it's one of our shorter sessions but I have to say it's one of my there's so much in this session that uh it's you know it's really sort of signatory so I interviewed Ilan Moss who was the filmmaker for the um, Drugs for Neglected Diseases Initiative, which is an offshoot of MSF, which was founded with the the money awarded to them when they were awarded uh, the Nobel Peace Prize, and it's the story of Victor Victor Kande in uh, he was a Congolese doctor. Now, what I particularly what was amazing about this story is one person's impact on humanity in his country, indeed, in fact, in a much wider wider field. So. Victor was a doctor who'd spent 40 years uh, combating sleeping sickness, which uh, most of the audience will be very aware of. But it's, it's a disease that, if unchecked, can, um, can tell you mad um, and is pervasive in, in, in the Congo. The existing treatment was ex- an extremely old-fashioned one. It wasn't particularly um, um, good at treating the disease and had lots of side effects. <clears throat> Victor um, drove an initiative in Congo to run clinical trials, and he ran clinical trials for over 2 million people, um, developing a new drug, getting it clinically tested, but getting it clinically tested and and, um, authorized within Congo rather than bringing it to a sort of westernized pharmaceutical setup. You know, he gathered resources, gathered, gathered people, gathered momentum, so that this all happened within Congo. And it's singularly due to his absolute passion and drive. Lots of other people, you know, he drew people into him. He drew resources. He drew funds to fundamentally change medicine and the treatment of sleeping sickness within Congo himself. Um, the the film that Ilan Moss uh, made one was a winner at the the Health for All Film Festival, and it's a you know really beautifully made film which shows. Um, you know, the amazing hurdles that um, they, they became in Congo to get this uh, drug sort of accredited and um, to be widely accepted as being a treatment for, for sleeping sickness. Um, but it also shows, um, you know, some of the success stories of the people that were treated by this, by this new drug and the outcomes. And, you know, seeing the before and afters is truly remarkable. Um, and it's a drug that can be used easily um, in a Congolese setting, in an African setting, where logistics are difficult, where there's climatic extremes, where you know medicine is more extreme. It takes it's harder and it's tougher to deliver it. Um, and you know Victor came up with a, uh, an elegant and beautiful solution that transforms uh, people's outcome in in Congo, and I would suggest sort of in the wider African setting. Um, you know, and Drugs for Neglected Disease Initiative in itself is an interesting organisation, one which is which is uh, you know very interesting to highlight too. So that was one of my one of one of the shortest sessions, but I have to say one of the the most beautifully shot and um, and fascinating sessions, which highlighted so many so many good and strong points, and that highlighted that you as an individual can make significant change you don't necessarily have to be part of a massive organization it's your passion that's important and your dedication to your 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 goal and having goals like that and you know you can change the world with one person yeah i really enjoyed this episode mark and the film a doctor's dream which you can watch on youtube it's it's open access and the links we'll put in the show notes it's just a really nice piece of filmmaking that really shows the impact of sleeping sickness or trypanosomiasis on that on the local communities there in, in the Congo. Um, and it's just fascinating for, for me to learn that all the treatments up to now have been so so poor and also so deadly for patients. So arsenic was one of the main treatments that, that they were using. It killed one in 20 of the people that were 
treated with it. And so th- this revolution in having the first safe oral treatment for trypanosomiasis is a, is a massive step forwards. Um, and you know, it's a truly neglected tropical disease. It's great to see some work and some exposure in, in this area. I yeah, think just that's that, that, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, oh yeah, no, just that, just that principle of it. You can always make things better. There's, there's always, if you've got that ethos of continual improvements and that you can, you can just, every time you, you go to work, you, you, you consistently looking for ways to improve the, and, and not just accepting the baseline as is now, especially as Will said, especially if, it, if it's actually quite detrimental, but, um, but just it, the, the ethos there is, is that, showing up with a with a with a mindset of continual improvement you can always make inroads quite rightly mark as you said as an individual the amount that you can affect an organization a culture and or people group is 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 fantastic and hopefully we'll we'll hear more from the um from from that group who are based in new york um and highlight some other stories of their remarkable work around the globe so, uh, who's next? Owen, I think it's um, your turn to give us your, your next session. Yes, thanks, Mark. So this is my final favourite session from the summer. Uh, and this was WEMcast Live Events uh, number 14 um, on the WEM Academy. And it was the Human Factor with, uh, with Gareth Locke. And so I find Human Factors absolutely fascinating, actually. And Gareth is a professional diver and also as an ex-RAF LO master, talked about the importance of non-technical skills, including CRM, situation awareness, and moving away from your own bias. Um, he also talks about no-notice drills, so really calling on your sub- subconscious competence and being prepared to mimic real life by quick action routines. And so I, I, found, I, I find Gareth uh, an amazingly fascinating character for a number of reasons, really, only because he, he really is the definition of preparedness. So he, he truly prepares and, and he's got that critical eye. So he looks, he looks to where systems might, might be at risk or indeed weak. And especially over the summer, you know, the amount of CRM opportunities and circumstances that, that I've personally faced and we've probably all faced um, have been absolutely, absolutely sort of proliferated. So, it, so it really recognizing those and recognizing when you eat in yourself or other people, you're hungry, uh, angry, late, tired, all the all these kind of human emotions, which you actually you, you need to mitigate to 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 provide a well functioning team and and individual. So I find I find his his mindset really fascinating, and just talking about the nuances of community communication in closed loop comms and and useful acronyms such as SBAR, situation background assessment recommendation pressure because we have been under pressure after all this summer quite quite easy um, and then his his, his, his sort of questioning mindset as well but my key learning really was about preemptively managing fatigue and uh, difficult nonverbal communication in stressful environments so, so almost coming into it preemptively and predicting it before, before it occurs. Fighting against your own bias, be that confirmation bias, outcome bias, reporting bias. Um, and then also some of Gareth's methods of error trapping as well, which are absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I really, I really, uh, really like Gareth's approach. He's very no, no nonsense, isn't he? And the way he he integrates the theory with some of his own experience uh, working in extreme environments. He's a master diver uh, under the ocean, which is a, is a kind of environment where stuff can go wrong very quickly. You've got to be on it. And I think the, the learnings that he's taken from that, we can translate to any extreme environment. Um, he's just such a fascinating guy to listen to. So yeah, great episode, Owen. Good job. I think, um, and I think, well, you've just touched on something that one of Wiss's something I think this is common with all the sessions that whilst typically we're interviewing um, clinicians or people involved with medicine, although not exclusively, you know, within all of those sessions, there are lessons that can be taken away and applied to everyday life. Whether that's your clinical career, whether that's just your normal everyday life with relationships and, you know, all the stuff that goes on on an everyday basis. So, you know, I've been really you know astounded by some of the stuff that that's come out of our with our, our sessions that you know can be used every single day yeah um, i so i fundamentally agree with that mark i think one of the one of the real real uh, comparisons and 
commonalities between extreme medicine and um, such as diving and aviation um, and clinical practice, day-to-day -day clinical practices, that when things go wrong, they can go wrong really quickly. And actually what we need to, what we need to ensure is that we've, we, can, we can see five, 10, 15 minutes into the future, we can, we, can, we, can, we can get to stuff before it gets to us so we can address it before it really starts to affect our dynamics. And within extreme medicine, things can really, really change so quickly. And you know, from, from, from an extreme environment perspective, and, uh, and if, you, if you're not acutely aware of that preemptively, it, it, it's a real game changer. So you're right, pulling some of those non-technical skills and sort of um, cognitive skills into extreme medicine is, is absolutely valuable. I mean, one of the, um, again, common themes is, is how, uh, with the clinicians that have been speaking, um, how making extreme medicine part of their career has to their mind made them better clinicians and i think it's that problems like as you were saying owen it's that problem solving it's that risk assessment it's that team working it's developing communication skills you know whilst in an extreme environment you will develop clinical skills a lot of the benefit is actually in those non-clinical skills it's all the stuff that makes you work better as an individual because you're coping with your stress better what makes you a better team member so that collectively as a team you deliver better results Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's fundamental. It's it, across our courses, actually, is instilling those non-technical skills that aren't necessarily taught or learnt within the, the, the clinical domain. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And the, the, so, the, Will, you're... Oh, sorry. I, mean, I was just going to say that, you know, the, the wilderness, the outdoors environment is the perfect training ground to develop those non-technical skills and bring that back to your clinical practice in, in, in your you know, usual workplace. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So, Will, over to you for your final session. Thanks, Owen. So, episode 75 was with Glenn Singleman on responsible risk-taking. This was released on the 11th of May. Uh, I, when I found Glenn, I, I almost couldn't believe he existed because he's just had the most outrageous career. So, he's, he's an emergency department physician out in Australia. Uh, but he's uh, he's worked with James Cameron. He's been down to the wreck of the Titanic. And he's also had this career in mountaineering, high altitude base jumping and wingsuit flying, which uh, he does with his wife, Heather. They're this kind of husband and wife team. And he does all this kind of um, corporate speaking work, talking about risk-taking and what he's learned as a, as a doctor and an extreme sports athlete. Um, and he, he kind of he embarked on all of this during the 80s in the kind of the heyday of where, you know, where, where base jumping and wingsuit jumping was really kind of, uh, it was literally taking off. Um, and the thing I took away from this two, two key learning points for me, first of all, was around his approach to, to fear. Um, and I think you know, any of us working in extreme medicine, we're putting ourselves in risky environments and you know, how we process that fear. And, uh, he's, his approach to that is one of just meticulous training and preparation. Uh, so when he get he gets to the edge of doing the jump, he knows he's rehearsed that jump. He's done all of his checks. Um, and he recognizes that fear within his brain, it's this kind of primitive reflex. He, he recognizes that that's there, but he's, he's got this prefrontal cortex and, and he, he's, he's able to override that. He's, he's, he's kind of got this awareness that the fear is there. And he says, thank you, fear, for notifying me that there's danger ahead. But I'm, you know what? I've done my checks. I'm, I'm, I know what I'm doing. I'm okay to proceed. Let's do this. And he steps out and he jumps, you know, jump off a cliff in the, in the Himalayas and uh, off, he, off he goes. I just, his, listen to the episode to get the detail, but just his, his whole way that he prepares himself mentally to, to take uh, these immense risks and, and, and transform them from being irresponsible to what he calls responsible risk-taking uh, is, is a real game changer for me. And the other thing was, I always thought that extreme sports athletes were just searching for adrenaline all the time uh, turns out they're not he's he's actually looking for something called flow uh, which is a, it's this kind of activated state where you're truly engrossed in a task you, you lose this sense of self the sense of time that the inner critic is silenced and you're performing at this just in, incredible level for you uh, so he, he, he describes what it feels like to be in a flow state and we unpack this a little bit in, in the episode and having what having had this conversation with Glenn, I went and tried to access the flow state when I'm playing tennis in my tennis league, and and I've been just forgetting about what game I'm in. I've been trying to forget about this um, 
uh, the, the doubt and, and disbelief and, and all of the, the kind of psychological anguish that goes along with a game of tennis and just focusing one point at a time and just get myself into that flow state. And I, I, I swear to God, my tennis playing level without having improved my game has gone up by, by 20% just through learning about the principles around flow. And I think any activity where you're trying to perform at a high level, where you're trying to kind of do battle with yourself, um, I think would benefit from the approach that Glenn outlines in this episode. So yeah, go check it out. Yeah, Glenn's session was 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 amazing. He, and he, you know, a lot of the stuff he was espousing is very similar to a special forces um, approach in terms of you know meticulous preparation and practice, practice, practice. Um, and the the concept of flow is you know if you've if you've never experienced flow, then you've missed something significant in your life. Um, there's, there's, I have experienced flow at times um, doing some stuff, and it's a remarkable state of mind to get into. And if you could access that easily, then that's a big tool for life. So I, I agree, actually. And it was a fantastic session because he's he's achieved so much over over the span of his life but but you but you're right just listening to how he switches his amygdala response off so you know your amygdala your fight or flight and being able to silence that and or, or at least turn it down and quite rightly as mark said that flow state so being able to kinesthetically feel things um but learning what to ignore as much as what to focus on so actually very much transcending the multitude of information coming at you and, and, and learning where the focus lies and then letting everything else subconsciously kinesthetically flow. And, and, and then you're just focused on the one, the, the one thing. And, and his examples were fantastic actually. Um, and then being able to transcend some amazing feats, um, which, which you wouldn't even think are possible. Some of the, some of the, some of the things he, 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 he achieved. Yeah, it seems like, for me, it's like a, it's almost like a letting go. We almost hold on too tightly, don't we? And and you just get lost in in that moment. You're just you're just in that moment. You're not thinking about what might happen in the future. You're just right there at that at the edge of time. And that's just it's an incredible feeling when it happens. You're right, Mark, to to find flow. And you don't have to be jumping off uh, cliffs in the Himalayas to to find that. Um, <laughs> but it's great when you can. I think actually, and just going back to Jeff's session, you know, the, one of the times I find flow quite often is kayaking mm -hmm. because it's that singular focus where everything else just disappears off because um, that's what you're focused on and your mind is just, and it is, it's, it's a very cathartic place to get mm -hmm. to. So I think a very healthy place for people to do on a, on a, on a regular basis if they're able to. So Mark, so, what was your final episode? Well, my last session, my favorite session is, um, is essentially talking about um, imposter syndrome. And it's session 108 with Mike Christian, who is a HEMS physician. Um, Mike's a, a fascinating and highly accomplished individual. Uh, he's a Canadian um, consultant doctor, but he's a physician with, with London HEMS. Uh, his, uh, his, his original background was as a trained paramedic. Um, He's worked on the SARS outbreak in, in Canada, no, and he's done quite a lot with the Canadian military. Um, you know, as a paramedic, he made the decision to go to medical school and and to become a doctor. And it was a conversation around the fact that um, Mike is, you know, demonstrably an accomplished physician. You know, he's got a, an amazingly varied and high level background but still considers himself to be an imposter and deals with that imposter syndrome on a, on a regular basis. And I suspect that's not uncommon with lots of uh, medics and physicians and, and clinicians. It was fascinating to get an insight into that vulnerability of somebody who um, is in a position that we would all look up to and to understand where that vulnerability comes to comes from. Um, but it's also for me, it was signature in terms of having a goal and no, not having a goal. So having a vision and a dream and following that and just, you know, saying to yourself, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to focus on. And then following that dream and not giving up. Um, and, I, you know, I found my time speaking to my, again, he was one of those 
he is one of those individuals rather that you could just listen to for hours because you know his 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 personal journey and his insights were fascinating and and again and we've said this a few times they're not just restricted to medicine they're you know they're applicable to everyday life um and i'm always full of admiration like like with dr victor kande with mike with a lot of the people that we speak to they have visions and dreams as we all do but they decide to go after them and the decision to go after them can be quite a small decision but that then leads to the, the further steps and i think it's part of um i think what we're trying to highlight all highlight all of us through these sessions that we're presenting on on webcast is that if you have a dream there is absolutely nothing stopping you from achieving that except for yourself and it's making taking inspiration from some of the individuals that we that we've interviewed um and the the webcast is full of these individuals uh, and making the making the decision to follow your own dream, whatever that may be, whether it's you know within medicine or without, but you have control of your own life and your own destiny, and you're shaped by what you aspire to. So Mike was you know was wonderful to hear and wonderful to hear a story, um, but also to hear that even having arrived where he he is, he still feels that sense of vulnerability, which is very a very human human trait, and and one I suspect lots of us uh benefit or suffer from for me mark what struck me about that so vulnerability mike, um, oh, oh sorry, so sorry. after you owen oh sorry i was just gonna say i've worked with mike uh, a number of times um as a hems physician on, uh, on london hems uh, and other places as well and it's is i think one of the things that comes forward from that session is is around his attention to detail um and a lot of people say you know don't sweat the small stuff but actually it's sometimes prudent to sweat the small stuff and actually really be attentive to detail both in your career and in your clinical practice and and mike certainly is one of these characters that that, that really is attentive and it seems to be a commonality among some of our sessions with our nasa colleagues uh, such as jd polk um uh, and and also uh, mike is would be actually be be attentive to the small to the small things both in your career clinically and, and and otherwise because it's 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 that that matters and will aggregate towards towards you becoming not only a professional but a, a very accomplished professional yeah i think that attention to detail is actually fundamentally rooted in mike's um vulnerability and and what's what really touched me about that conversation was how his vulnerabilities is actually that has become a huge source of strength for him. And I, I think maybe that comes from this idea of this poster syndrome, being a paramedic before he became a doctor, always kind of slightly feeling he's not worthy of being where he is. And he's, he's got a series of quite high profile jobs um, in, in the UK since moving from Canada. And um, I think that's given him both humility um, and he reflects on that and how it's kind of kept him grounded. And it's also given him the drive to, to, to be the top of his game, to pay attention to detail, to continually improve himself uh, and never just sit on his laurels. Never, I, I, you know, I think I've, I've met lots of medics who are at quite a high level who, who got there and they just think, well, you know, I, I, I am this person now, uh, you know, I'm kind of a big deal. Um, uh, you know, just sit, they just sit, sit where they are. Whereas he's just constantly pushing himself and he's always grateful for where he is. And he's always investing in that next generation, trying to help them, um, improve as well. So I just, he's a very humble guy and uh, yeah, a real joy to, to listen to him speak on this episode. We, over the, the course of the, of lockdown in, in, you know, the silver lining was producing some of these sessions because we truly have met some inspiring individuals in our sort of voyage through um, the different sessions and stuff. And I want to thank uh, Will, yourself and, and Owen for you know collecting all these 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 people and gathering them on the webcast because it's you know there's 113 sessions now and we've got some remarkable sessions planned. It's been a real joy building up this sort of library of inspiration, you know, accessing these mavericks, whether they're medics or otherwise. Um, and there's lots of learnings in there. You know, there's a whole load of other sessions I wish we could have had time to talk about, like the family session, traveling with kids. Oh, and just um, Lucille in Tahiti as a tropical medicine doctor. And I'm sure there's a whole list for you guys too. It's been a real pleasure um, 
being able to to interview these people you know and we've got great plans for the future and then will i know you've got a host of stuff coming up that you're involved with with the uh, with webcast yeah we've got, uh, well i'm speaking to rudy van vuren tomorrow on a live webcast and then uh uh, next week we've got military careers panel and there's there's lots more stuff coming up as well but i th- i think for me mark i i feel like uh, as hosts and i hope also for you as an audience um and, and as an extreme medicine community that we've we've all been on a kind of journey together uh, you know, through this pandemic we've just been exploring some of the the themes um or the, the the things that extreme medicine can give all of us to help us practice extreme medicine on our doorstep and just be the best version of ourselves. And I, I just feel like I've grown immensely as, as a person and yeah, we're looking forward. We're all looking forward to the next, next steps on this journey. There's some really exciting uh, uh, ideas and, and speakers and, and content coming up. So we've got to keep watching this space. Absolutely. And it's just been a pleasure walking through this, this journey with you guys, but also, um, so I'm going to be speaking to the captain of the English uh, the only British team to run the world's toughest race on Thursday. Uh, and that will probably be the next Wemcast podcast that, that will be coming out. Um, so we'll be interviewing Joe Selby and just his, his challenges and also his uh, tribulations, but also his victories throughout that whole process, which is now live on uh, Amazon Prime and was the, was the WEM team which, which took care of the medical cover for that so that'll be a really fascinating conversation but yeah just just harks back to really what we've been through this summer um, and just listening to a whole catalog of um of people who, th- who thrive through adversity um in in quite an adverse time in, in our lives so and that's really both helped i think me and hopefully you guys and and the listeners on uh, through 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 a very difficult time um in 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 history so thank you for for joining us for our review of our top sessions don't forget that we've got the WEM virtual conference on the 17th to the 18th of october and of course a lot of the sessions are also recorded visually and uploaded to our WEM academy site which is a growing library of some of the best extreme medicine resources that you can find thank you will thank you Owen. thank you everybody for listening um, and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode at WEMcast. Bye-bye.